Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and joining us after his uh, week away, where I'm sure he did many exciting things uh, on whatever adventures uh, that unfolded during that time, is none other than... Brendan Rodison, and yep, after one full episode away of letting Andrew Elmore uh, whisk us away with his charming wit about his album and other elements of his life, um, the, the boring Scotsman is back. So unfortunately, <laughs> Adam, I, I won't be able to empathise on the same level as music love that you guys have as evidenced and the silent discographer, but um, <laughs> we can get back to talking about some racing games and Compared to other shows that we've done, we don't really have like a specific topic today. We're, we're mostly just going to be talking about what racing games I think we've been playing, or in your case, uh, trying to play. And um, yeah. yeah, do something a bit more freeform, I suppose, because to be honest, we, we've had some fantastic guests, we've had some great featured topics, but ultimately, we play a lot of racing games for the purposes of chatting shit about them, so here we are. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing the episodes where we really have deep dives into certain titles, and I think I think that's something that I'd like to do next show. But this one, there, you know, there's one game that recently came out that you want to talk about, Brendan, and uh, you know, it's an interesting situation we're in right now as far as uh, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X kind of games starting to come to those platforms that maybe we've played elsewhere, but um, you know, they they've been sort of ported or updated in a way to take advantage of the hardware and kind of comparing that against what's going on, on the PC side um, through my job I've been trying to become more of a sim dad uh, and and <laughs> review and familiarize myself with the hardware uh, and that has proven difficult as we'll talk about later so yeah I think you know we're just going to have a discussion uh mostly about uh sim racing <laughs> and yeah. those kinds of games because that's kind of uh that's kind of what's been going on for both of us lately yeah absolutely even even the most kind of arcadey of the games we'll talk about today um definitely has its kind of roots in sim racing and i think that's what makes it interesting so i suppose we can just kick off with that game um i've been playing a good chunk of circuit superstars um, a, a new racing game published by Square Enix, of all companies, um, developed by Original Fire Games, which makes up uh, a very small development team of five people. Basically, this game recently released into early access after a, a successful demo period about five months ago, I think. And basically, what we have here is the... It's almost like a circuit version of Art of Rally, I would say, Adam. It's very much mm. a... Let's take sim racing, put it in more of a top-down kind of old-style arcade racer, but try and maintain the elements that make sim racing interesting and a more bite-sized experience. And that kind of that kind of main objective in itself is pretty interesting because, as we know, I think like the best thing about sim racing is more to do with the kind of the length of the races, the pit strategies. Um, the, the kind of longer term damage to the cars and what you have through Circuit Superstars is an experience that's trying to kind of condense all of that into a more kind of miniature and, and cute package almost. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see that 
we're, we're getting a growing number of games now. I mean, you know, there's only two. There's this and our rally, but combining sort of those those like cute, refreshing, uh, very artistic visuals with um, and the very indie flavor with a handling model and physics that are uh, surprisingly deep and not the most intuitive in the world. Like, and and that's not that's not to say. Um, bad but just like you know the yeah. first time you play art of rally like it, it kind of floors you how much of a rhythm you have to have to succeed at that game um and and honestly like for me it, it it's almost a little bit off-putting because it's it's kind of funny to like start playing a game like that you think you're gonna have a nice refreshing time and then yeah and then all of a sudden you <laughs> discover it's harder than driving like I don't know a GT3 car or prototype in iRacing like that. That that was how I felt about Art of Rally. Uh, it also didn't help that when I played that game, uh, it was at my friend Trevor's house, and I was using his Xbox pad. And for whatever reason, uh, I think his controller was fine, but it was like registering center as like slightly off to left or right. Yeah. So the car was constantly uh, steering or you know going in in the direction I didn't want it to. So, which will, you know, break a game like Art of Rally. Uh, Circuit Superstars, I'm watching gameplay of it now because I, I haven't played it myself. Um, I think just by virtue of it being a circuit racer, it looks a little bit more forgiving. Uh, also, you know, it's, it's a top-down racer, and that's something that historically I've, I haven't really ever been a big fan of. Uh, I've, I've tried to play games like that on the SNES and Genesis. Um, actually, that's something I can talk about because I see people get my analog Super NT kind of running uh, yeah. ROMs and things like that, so I can, I can chat about that. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it's just not my most intuitive idea for how a racing game should play. So I'm kind of always surprised when someone's able to do it in a way that uh, a lot of people get into. Yeah, absolutely, and to be honest, like obviously right away, that top-down approach means it's right for comparison, so you'll be hard-pressed to find a review that doesn't say like, oh, the circuit version of Micro Machines, or right. um, or like uh, kind of those types of games are being alluded to in, in a way to sell it, but you remember when we talked about Art of Rally, one of the things I said was it felt very much like a, a kind of a spiritual successor to the likes of Colin McRae Rally where you have these physics that are kind of rooted in realism to a certain extent but they aren't getting into the very minutiae you would find in your dirt rallies and that type of thing. It's sure. more about replicating the experience of actually driving these cars, understanding the kind of limitations of the type of game it is. And I think Circuit Superstars also kind of resembles that type of thing but not for Colin McRae Rally but funnily enough to another game that we've been playing a lot of recently in GT Sport hmm. its version of sim racing that it's putting in this kind of top-down form factor still prioritizes uh, maintaining your tires ensuring that you're not kind of overturning the car um, managing any damage which in some capacity actually plays more into it than GT does <laughs> um, and then of course the pit stop strategies as well which are absolutely here as opposed to typical ways these games play, where you might have three or five laps. The arcade mode mostly comprises of 20 lap races. So you're still wow. You're still talking like 13 minute races. So it does have that kind of similar 
issue that you were talking about, Adam, that Art of Rally had in the sense that you're not going to turn on Art of Rally and be able to totally shut off and play it because it demands a lot of the player. Circuit Superstars kind of feels the same because all of these sim elements in a three lap race, five lap race, yeah, it's just like any kind of top down racer, but the game's kind of career mode as is in early access at this point, which is important to note that it isn't fully released. It definitely prioritises those longer races and even online as well with the, on the limited online functionality that's there. It's about these longer form races. So it's almost that like they're trying to cultivate sim racing in a easily approachable format but then when you play the game it demands a lot of the player because you're not getting here like over dramatic drafting or anything as well like when you're when you're behind another car you, you aren't getting a dramatic speed boost or anything um there's no kind of cares or drs system to kind of give you a bit of a boost when you need it it's literally just you on the track and if you want to be faster it's things like identifying on the road there's a slightly different colour where more cars have driven because that's where the grip will be coming off the tyres. There's a lot of layer to the racing that's here and it doesn't become apparent unless you're doing those 20 lap races. The biggest issue for Circuit Superstars longer term when it leaves early access is going to be convincing people to actually do those lengths of races because it is that art of rally problem that I think people like yourself were talking about Adam where wouldn't at that point, maybe you just played at Rally or something. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing with Circuit Superstars. I think there's a lot of really cool implementations of like, sim racing staples in here, but it's in a package that almost kind of totally contradicts that side of the experience. So setting the expectation of the player is, is a difficult thing for this game to do because if you're just doing three and five lap races, you're really missing out on what it offers. But to get what it offers, you also have to put a lot of time in. And I would I would be lying if I said there wasn't a few times where I was like, God, these races are actually pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm watching footage of it now and they're in uh, the video I'm watching, they're in kind of a, a menu, I guess, before a race is to start. And yeah. Yeah, just like GT Sport, there's a list of like fuel consumption, 160% tire wear, 150%. Like, that is so weird to see in a game like this. Uh, that's not something that I'm used to. So, yeah, absolutely. Very, very interesting. I think um, it's why, when I talk about the game, I don't want to make comparisons to too many other top down racers because I do feel as if it's kind of devaluing what they're going for with Circuit Superstars. I imagine. The top-down approach has been chosen considering the size of the development team, considering the type of style that they want to go for. I don't think they're trying to say that if you like something like Micro Machines or any of the kind of more Storm RC games or stuff like that, you're going to love this because there, there's a fairly kind of in-depth racer here and even when I was just doing some of the Simdad type tests when it came to the tyres and stuff, you could definitely see the deg degradation being dynamic. Like we're not talking here after five minutes that the tires fade away. If you're kind of overturning the cars, braking late, that type of thing, your your tires will degrade faster. It's amazing. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's very strange. And then even the AI in itself. Like I think we've all been in that scenario where you play a sim racing game and you're you're amazed at how much time you're losing to the AI. And your first instinct, just based on arcade racers, is 
oh, there, there's some weird kind of fuckery going on that's <laughs> making them faster than me. But it isn't that. It's literally just that if you watch the kind of AI's driving lines, they, they're taking smooth lines, they're following that slightly darker pa patch of the track because they're all following a racing line. It's all things like that. And then because it's a top-down racer, you might try and cut a corner to catch up or something as well, and you get smacked with a 1.5-second penalty. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's a very wow. strange experience in the sense that I personally, I love all the attention to detail with all this type of thing because what you're seeing is kind of five or six car classes as well, um, all replicating a fairly decent approximation of what its motorsport would look like, but it's one that also requires a lot of effort from the player. And, like, for example, I was listening to the, the Giant Bomb podcast, and this game was brought up by one of the guys on there, and they, they were talking to the fact that they felt as if it was missing something, and then the part that they were talking about it being missing is that arcade element, some form of gambit that makes it kind of more of a, a casual experience. But I don't think original Fire games are actually aiming for that because of what we're talking about here. So... It's one of these odd experiments where <laughs> there, there's an argument to be made now that a lot of arcade racing games are starting to include sim elements of some kind, so that part of it isn't necessarily unique. I think what's unique is the way that they've fully committed to that bit, like they, they haven't included some form of sim racing elements, it does honestly feel like a, I would describe it as like a toy diorama of Gran Turismo Sport, like yeah. you're kind of you're you're looking at it you're you're seeing all these similar elements and the game expects your full respect when playing it despite the fact that you can just tell it wants to be like that perfect kind of couch multiplayer game but i just know for a fact my friends that don't kind of know life racing games that ourselves would be like that this is like ridiculously difficult <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing this dude dive into the pits, and there's a fully animated picture. Yeah. It's adorable. Uh, yeah, this is this is a cool game, and I want to check it out. Uh, yeah. I think I saw that about Laura Rally, and I did for a bit, and I never <laughs> ended up going back to it. Uh, but you said it's in you said it's yeah. in early access. Yeah, so it's in early access just now. Basically, um, the updates for this game haven't been frequent and many, so the drop onto the early access was actually a bit of a surprise at the time, um, because it just kind of appeared out of nowhere after kind of going missing after that first demo, I think it was like in June 2020 or whatever. So I think it's still, it, you can definitely tell it's still in early access, like being honest at this point, and I don't think it's bad saying this given the fact that it's still in active development. It does feel a bit empty at the moment, um, you you have a kind of free play mode where you can choose the car class, um, the track, but you, from what I've been able to tell so far anyway, you can't actually adjust like the percentage of how fast fuel cons is consumed and mm. how fast the tyres degrade, and then in the arcade mode it's really one championship per car category, uh, which is tied into difficulty as well, so like the KRM7 super lights or like amateur and then the uh, GT3s are the kind of master mode difficulty. There's still a lot to get done on the game, but there's enough here to kind of get a grasp of what it's going for. I do think on the personality front, the, the cutesy style looks great, but almost once again, because Art of Rally just did this as well a few months ago, it doesn't have that overly fresh feel. 
I think yeah. what Circuit Superstars does well though is it, it kind of captures a nice ambience of the, the racetrack and it does have a nice warm feel to the visuals but I think that and I, once again I'm not sure how they'll actually do this they, they do need to kind of inject a little bit more personality in there because the, the cutesy pit animations almost feel um, at difference to the rest of the, the more kind of ambient experience the game provides elsewhere like I love how they're all detailed and it's very cutesy but the driving experience itself and the tracks look a bit more kind of pole-faced. So I'm not sure how they they give it a bit more personality. I imagine that's something that Original Fire will be looking to do. But um, on that regard as well, um, there was something that I'd heard doing a bit of research about this game, where right now this game's published by a Square Enix Collective, um, and they kind of that's their indie kind of publishing arm, and that's who picked it up. But I understand that the game was actually proposed to various um, other publishers as well. And mm. one of the ones that was looked at would have been a perfect match for addressing this character problem that we're talking about here. Because <laughs> there, there were, uh, I would say without going into details of course, um, th- there were elements of this publisher that would transfer so incredibly well to this type of experience and sell people on it. Um, I think that especially when you're making a racing game that isn't selling itself on official cars or official tracks, it does help to have some form of IP to kind of push into, and in this case it would have... I think that this alone, if the publisher had decided to go with Circuit Superstars, I think that would have increased uh, the potential of this exponentially in terms of people picking up. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've we've heard so much over the years about uh, developers making games with a certain IP in mind, and then they pitch it to that publisher, and it, it doesn't happen. Um, yeah, it happens a lot in the racing genre. But this game could benefit from that. I mean, I'll actually say that, like... Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I see what you're saying, that there's maybe a bit of a, of a genericness to it. Um but I also think that because a game like this has never really existed before, because there's never been a serious, like, almost yeah. sim- simulation top-down racer, I I feel like that is this game's identity. You know, I, looking at it, like, yeah, there is a certain, a certain lack of uniqueness to the visuals, I guess, when you compare it with other indie titles. I mean, you know, having played Motorsport Manager a lot over yeah. the years, there, yeah. there's kind of that sort of look to the visuals but I mean there's never been a game like this before so I think I'm willing to forgive that as opposed to say uh, I don't know like a like a Horizon Chase Turbo or something like that where it's like I, I feel like I've played a game that looks like that 8 million times in the past and yeah um, exactly 100% yeah, yeah, I think so. like we, we get a lot of these and this is why I'm more than happy to say this here because I've been on record before saying that the kind of overly in-your-face arcadeness of retro throwback arcade racing games is a bit played out at this point in time. So, like we've got we've got a good few kind of um, other arcade racing games coming up, like uh, Victory Heat Rally and stuff, which look really cool, very unique, but visually not something you would be kind of surprised about in terms of the kind of aesthetics and stuff. But like, like you say, I suppose like this is kind of new ground, a, a top-down sim racer of this kind, so it makes sense that they would go for this type of style. I think it's just the... It's the thing like Gran Turismo sells at, for example, compared to other um, series where 
they like Kaz and the team know what makes that feel like a premium car brochure like experience um, and that's kind of why when you play other games and that type of kind of racing game genre category they can feel lacking and I think like Circuit Superstars is like 75% there of, of, of achieving that feeling they're going for I think it just needs that those little tweaks around the edges which I'm sure will come the games in early access and um one of, the, one of the things that I read about this game that I found pretty funny was in the YouTube comments and it was um, it was Fail Race that was playing the game on a, a Let's Play and somebody in the comments had said this game when the person you're watching is hitting all the apexes time after time it's kind of like a, a racing game fan's ASMR <laughs> because it's like you're seeing this car perfectly manoeuvre for the apexes of every corner this like smooth yeah. looking and, <laughs> and when it hits like when it hits a curb like you actually see the wheels individual re- individually react you see the car kind of hop a bit like these are not physical sensations I'm used to noticing in top-down arcade racers which is i think why this game is so interesting to watch you know these are all things that we expect from simulations but uh not from this perspective not with these visuals and and the visuals i i think i also have to say like whatever argument you make about the style they are kind of subdued and i give them respect for that because you mentioned victory heat rally uh, i i was talking about horizon chase turbo um, yes. and then there's also racing apex and we've, we've talked about this a lot in the past, but like those games are so over the top with, with beating <laughs> yeah. you over the head that this is an arcade racing game. Don't you remember arcade racing games? Um, that, that they just kind of, it almost feels like a parody. And this to me doesn't feel like that. This to me is like, it's more subdued. It's like, Hey, look, we, we did the visual style and kind of a, of a subdued sort of you know just clean and simple way and that's what we were going for we're not looking to uh i mean i'm not actually hearing the audio from the game right now but i assume there's not a lot of frivolous voice acting (laughs) like there is in racing apex for some reason (laughs) uh there's not like uh, these characters and things like it's just pretty it's all right there and you know I, i think that is the sort of aesthetic and design direction I'd like to see more from like these indie arcade racing titles I don't think uh, I know it's really tough to like make something in the style of the 90s or the size the style of 16-bit or something like that or like the early 3d games without kind of going to where our minds remember you know it's 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 different to say like we're gonna make a game uh, in in the style of, of how this title would have looked in 1997 without being impacted by like your memories of 1997 or like what how you remember that time to be uh, it's I, I feel like it's it's a thing that this is gonna be a weird example but like when I watch Stranger Things which is not really a, a series that I you know a show that I particularly love but uh, having not been around in the 80s um, one of the criticisms I kept seeing about that show was like, yeah, this show was clearly made by someone who it was, it was based on how the eighties are remembered rather than how the eighties actually were. And I feel like that's a lot of the problem with a lot of these arcade racers that are being made now. It's, it's, it's meant to, to fit this aesthetic that is sort of, uh, 
just present in the mind without thinking about like how it actually would have been and i think it's yeah. just it's just very easy to do that and there's not a lot of thought that goes into it so just everything about this like the pitch uh, of of making a serious racing game that's top down uh it, it kind of goes it goes against your expectations it subverts your expectations and i think i you know i i, I praise them for trying yeah absolutely i think as well it's what I like about it, like you're saying, in terms of the way the car moves over the curbs and stuff, there's also other little touches like um, the, the kind of the wind going through the trees as well and slightly moving the trees. And then on the audio front, um, the soundtrack uh, just before a race is very kind of indicative of those kind of very chilled out like golf games, if that makes sense. Like it's just that kind of this is a a small time race, everybody's going to have fun racing, it's it's not overly intense, so yeah. crazy over the top or anything like that. And then there's just other things as well, like the kind of the smoothness of the camera movement as well, like it isn't like jittery or over the top. It's, it's very much the type of arcade experience that I would like to see more of in the sense that we, we get away from, like you're saying, trying to, to replicate the games without understanding what made them so good in the first place it's yeah the thing is like for hot shots racing and stuff like people really enjoyed that and like all power to them for that but as we went over this before so i'll just kind of cut my feelings short on that regard but it's just one of those things where i'm not really in the kind of arcade racing genre fandom for the over the top examples of it it's more for the exemplary ones where we take a risk and Circuit Superstars is definitely doing that. It's poised to release eventually on like PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch as well. So I really hope that it finds the fans and just obviously on PC this tends to be the case, but there's already kind of talk on the, the Steam dis, uh, discussion boards about setting up a kind of F1 championship across all the tracks. And Very cool. Full tireware and stuff, and I think that's that's where the game will really shine i think when it finds that group of people who are like you know what i would rather find milliseconds on this fake version of this track than uh, put another two hours into something like a set of course like i think there, there will be that group of people who really vibe with what it offers and the kind of few people i've talked to about the game so far as well that that is what makes it good for them because i did say initially that i think like a drs or care system would have been cool in this game for some of the cars but like it was immediately shot down by this particular person like oh god no and then i realized why <laughs> that was the reaction it's because the beauty of circuit superstars is in the, the subtlety of it it doesn't it doesn't need one mechanic that totally kind of overblows the rest of it it's more about learning these corners keeping the smoothness of the drive and ensuring that you kind of set the best lap times possible because it does have that same feeling i find with gran turismo where like you can say Gran Turismo isn't the most realistic, of course, but what it does do is like it makes you feel when you fuck up a corner and you cannot get control of the car again. Like you just you feel as if your lines off. It's very hard to get back in the groove. It's the same in this game. Like as soon as you miss an apex or you go in too deep into a corner, you feel that battle with yourself to get back into a slow and steady pace that ultimately ends up being faster. And you know what? That can't be easy to capture for this type of racing game. So I think Original Fire are doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah, cool to see it. And 
you know, we've spent, I think, about a half hour on, on Circuit Superstars. Yeah. So uh, I think I've said I've said everything I can say about without having played the game. And, and you've given a, <laughs> a good <laughs> summation of your feelings. So we can move on. I mean, at this point, really, the show could go in a number of directions. You did me- mention Assetto Corsa, so I will briefly give a peek into my last couple of, of weeks uh, of, of trying to get back into that game with certain hardware. So um, <laughs> as part of my job, because uh, for those for those that don't know, uh, I, I write for a site called Jalopnik. And uh, we are trying to do more, you know, sim racing hardware reviews and stuff like that. And that's that's been my main focus. Uh, and it's been a bit of a learning experience for me, too, because, you know, I'm not the most avid sim racer in the world. I, I've, I've played games like iRacing uh, and the Sail Course and stuff before, but it's, it's not something I've kept up with. Uh, but I genuinely enjoy it. Like, a couple weeks ago, I was actually playing iRacing for the first time really consistently in years uh i was at my friend's place and just kind of put away like a half hour 45 minutes or something into driving one of the gt3s i think it was the ford gt and it felt great like it felt better than i remember it was like super smooth it was super easy uh you know something that we always say sim racing should be i think a lot of people have have finally come along and realized like it, it shouldn't be exceedingly difficult to drive like a GT3 car. You know, it should be hard, you know, to get the most speed out of it, but it should be immediately sort of uh, fun and intuitive. And that's that's kind of the way this felt. So I was really looking forward to like doing these reviews and things. And uh, I, I reviewed the Log- Logitech G923, which is fine. Uh, you know, it's basically the G29 with a haptic system that I don't really feel adds that much to the experience, but it's a good value. Uh, Fanatec has some stuff on the horizon. Uh, There's that new McLaren GT3 wheel. There's also that absurd BMW wheel, which I may get a chance to check out one day. But 
You can find reviews of the McLaren wheel online. Uh, it, yeah. It's I, I think it's like shipping in in the spring or the summer. So uh, if you ordered one, it should be coming soon. But they sent me the the GT3 V2 wheel, uh, and they also sent me some hardware to get me started. And uh, you know, to to offer some some peek behind the curtain, I guess, because I I think it's. I think it'd be good for like reviewers and people in the industry to kind of explain the background of, of what happens when you try and review something, the the, the, the conversation between companies, because nothing, nothing here is like, uh, you know, behind an embargo. Uh, there's nothing I really can't discuss. And I think the problem is like when you don't discuss these things, that's when people start to think that like journalists are getting paid under the table or they're getting all this stuff for free and which I'm not saying doesn't happen. I'm sure hap I'm, I'm no one gets paid under the table. I'll make that clear. I'm sure certain influencers and stuff get their stuff for free, but ultimately I have to send back everything I use, which which is the way it should be. Um yeah. so Basically, they were like, "You're gonna, you're gonna review this wheel, right? So we're gonna give you all the hardware that you need, the, the rest of the stuff to do it." So they sent me the Club Sport V3 pedals, uh, and then they sent me a Podium Direct Drive wheelbase. Now, this was, you know, this was nice of them, but it's tough for a couple of reasons. One, it almost invalidates the wheel that I hook up to it <laughs> because. At that point, it's like, all right, you're kind of trying to win me over with like, isn't this an amazing experience using a $1,500 wheelbase with a direct drive <laughs> motor? And at that point, it's like, you know, I, I have to be very judicious and careful about like separating my opinions of the wheel, which is the purpose of this review. I'm reviewing the wheel. I'm not reviewing the base, the everything, you know, which I, I can do that. But it's like, all right, so that's that's already a little bit frustrating but the the bigger issue is like i can't really fit a direct drive base into my setup in any way shape or form uh. and uh the, the the individual i was talking with uh from the company who was very nice uh very great very helpful uh they, they asked me what my setup was or you know what my quote-unquote rig was and they told <laughs> them i had a wheel stand pro uh, and they, they sent me this direct drive base anyway. So like I get, I get the base, right. And yeah. I finally get this wheel, which took a little bit longer to show up. And I'm like, all right, let's just take a, a quick look at, at what this is going to be like, if, if this is even possible to set up. And I, I take, I take the wheelbase out of the box for the first time. I'm like, Oh God. And then I, you know, prop up my wheel stand pro and I just like take one look I keep going back and forth looking at each of these things. I'm just like, there is absolutely no way, shape, or form that this, you know, brick is going to sit on top of this very, uh, very small metal plate. And even if by some, you know, miracle, I could get this wheelbase on top of the on top of the wheel stand to stay there the sheer torque from the direct drive motor would absolutely destroy it. Cause like the wheel stand pro, I mean, you've had one, Brendan, it's, it's yeah. strong for what it is. You know, it's all metal and everything like that, but not made for this. So I was just like, all right, I have to, I'm going to have to swap that out and ask them to get like, um, was it the CSL base or something like that, which, you know, I think we're working on, but it, it's been such a process. And this is, this speaks to, 
the issue I've always had with sim racing, and I actually, I wrote about the Logitech wheel, I reviewed it, and I got a couple of like critical comments about, I think it was the Logitech review, it was also a, a, um, a story I wrote about BMW has this pitch for like a, a sim racing sort of stand slash table thing. Yeah. And in both, I just kind of said, you know, it's, it's difficult this is obviously an expensive hobby, but it's also a hobby that requires space. And, you know, if if I can't, in the places that I've lived in my life, you know, over the past seven, eight years, if I can't have some sort of solution that allows me to put the wheel and, and all the gear and stuff away and bring it out as I need it, and use like a stand or something like that, use a, a chair, a computer chair, or something like that, desk chair I already have. If I, if I can't put this away when it's not needed, it is impossible for me to be in a part of this hobby, like to, to really immerse myself in it. I just, I've never had the space and it's very expensive and people will fucking like, they go insane when they like like the most rabid sim dads are just like oh, what are you talking yeah. about like it's something to be proud of like put it out there it's like no no i want <laughs> I, don't, I don't i i don't have that much space and i don't want i don't want people to come over and be like what's this huge freaking like mess of like twisted metal and tubes and shit you just have in the middle of your apartment like uh. I, I don't I don't want to be that guy. I'm sorry. I mean, look, if you do, that's great. That's good for you. I'm glad you could wear it on your sleeve. Uh, for me, I do this podcast. Uh, I play these games when I want to, but I don't want to constantly have to, you know, squeeze in between a gigantic sim rig and you know my couch or something like that to just walk around my apartment normally like a like a human being. So yeah, I mean, it's this is just me like on blast just complaining about all of the reasons why I've wanted to be more into sim racing but due to space or gear or money it's been very difficult for me yeah. um, you know re reviewing this stuff will be a, a neat way to do that and I, I do look forward to getting the base that that's going to work for my wheel stand because once I do I mean this this McLaren wheel obviously I, I can't I haven't been able to use it or hook it up to anything but it feels great I mean I think this I, you know, I haven't done a ton of research on it yet because I haven't been writing it or anything or testing it, but I think it's like a 200 250 $300 wheel, um, which is about like what Fantex stuff costs. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it feels great. It's like, yeah, it's like there's there's like some plastic and, you know, rubber on it and stuff. It's not like the full, uh, you know, carbon fiber, metal, what have you, but it feels super solid. The buttons are like really, uh, really clicky and uh, tactile. Everything requires a concerted effort to press, which is good because there's there's no chance you will accidentally activate something that you don't want Absolutely. to when you're driving the car. Uh, the the paddle shifters are like are really like chunky and like definitely have like a, a you know. Super, uh, a super solid feel to them as opposed to like the more like flicky kind of just sort of wafer like metallic uh shifters on the back of like the g the g29 and, and so on so yeah i'm looking forward to it uh so in in the meantime i haven't been able to drive that or use any of that at all so i've just been 
uh, playing <laughs> a set of Corsa Competizione with my Xbox uh, One pad again, which is not terrible. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, that that whole monologue just broke about 200 some dad's hearts, especially with that kick in at the very end that you're playing Competizione with a pad. <laughs> I think... Um, just to kind of also feed into that, obviously I ended up buying a, a Fnatic, um, we can't all be Joloptic uh, journalists, Adam. Um, I yeah, ended yeah. up built, buying a, a Fnatic wheel um, in like May last year, I think, because I've almost had it for a year now after, um, against all odds, getting into iRacing, pretty big. Um, and I was still living with my parents at the time, so it was like, I already have a wheel stand pro, I know that the um, the CSL Elite is the exact price point I want. It means I can still use the Wheelstand Pro. And um, the, the biggest blocker is, of course, the price. Because Fnatic, you pay for the quality. You just have to kind of deal with that. Um, and like you, I, I felt as if when I seen the hardware, I understood the price. But the, the, kind of the, the real cost of sim racing, which maybe people don't consider, is that um, space requirement because even for myself, like I've now got the GT Omega stand and the Fnatic wheel, and anytime I want to use the wheel, I've got to, of course kind of lift the the stand up, plug it all in, set it all up, and race. And for people, for a lot of people, like that won't be a big issue at all. But I I am one of those people. Like I, I like my creature comforts, and that also applies when I play race, uh, when I play racing games, when I play video games. I love a good controller first and foremost. It's why I spotted 140 pounds on the Xbox Elite Pad at one point because mm. that pick up and play element of video games and has always been the case for racing games as well. So it makes me really enjoy them. And it wasn't until uh, we were playing GT Sport, um, which we do every Thursday through the Discord. Um, I was taking the wheel out, I was setting it up, and I just got to the point where I was like, how much is this actually adding to my experience of something like GT Sport? <laughs> is this necessary? And then the next week I started using the pad again, and I just totally fell in love with the game, like, completely, because I'd forgot somehow how great that game is on a pad, and ever since, I I've not really went back to the wheel for GT. Like, using the Fnatic is, like, an absolute requirement for me personally on iRacing, on a set of course, a competizione. But like, it is one of those things where it has limited use for me now and I'm happy to admit and accept that. I'm past the point of feeling like I've made this big purchase, I need to rationalise and justify it. <laughs> which is maybe why I was using the wheel for absolutely everything at one point. I'm now at the point where I don't want that fucking wheel stand in my apartment lounge every single day. Yeah. Um, if I'm playing something like iRacing or something like that will absolutely bring it out but I have no qualms in admitting that I'm more than happy to, to use a pad for most things so it is an interesting point I don't think a lot of people consider who are totally invested in the sim racing ecosystem like the the space requirement the commitment to ensuring the things always plugged in that type of thing it's it's definitely it's not a hidden cost financially but in terms of the the kind of capability to play games it's something you've got to keep in mind dude when you if you take a look at the power brick that supports the podium wheelbase <laughs> oh my god i mean it's it almost fits the footprint of the wheelbase itself it's it is uh that big i mean obviously not in terms of mass but if you're talking sheer 
like surface area, it's gigantic. It, it actually puts the Xbox 360 uh, power brick to shame, and that is, uh, I think, historically one of like the biggest power bricks that yeah. has ever existed uh, for for a tech product like that. Um, yeah, you know, the, the space thing is really important to me. I have to ask, you know, I don't live with uh, with a significant other or anything like that, yeah. um, like you do, Brendan. So so, <laughs> how does your partner, uh, does she mind? Does she, does she care? Does she make fun of you? <laughs> I mean, not particularly. I think, like, she can empathize with it in the sense, like, she's got her um, kind of PC set up in another room and... Sure. She recently bought a corner desk to have like her full DJ setup because that's what nice. she's doing. I mean, obviously, we're comparing somebody driving digital pixels with a seven hundred pound piece of hardware to yeah. She's she's immediately cooler <laughs> than you. For- yeah, exactly. And I, I accept that one hundred percent. But um, no, she's kind of relatively fine with that as well. And I think um, I bought recently one of the the oddest purchases I've made in a long time, and the the sim dad equivalent of a DDR pad. I recently bought a, yep. an LTEC dance pad and that was like £200 and this thing is, it basically is a fanatic for your feet if you want to play dancing games. It's like fucking industrial build quality, it weighs a ton so once again lifting it and moving it out of the road's a pain in the arse. So it's like in the lounge just now, I have the fanatic wheel in the corner and then that dance pad in the other corner and I am just waiting for the discussion where it's like, it's great having these kind of readily available to play, but we really need to get these out of here. As as lockdown ends, I imagine that will be the conversation. I mean, it sounds like you have a dedicated <laughs> arcade in your in your home. <laughs> and that's pretty great. Pretty much, we've got like the got the, the PS5, the Series X, and the Switch under the TV. You get the gaming PC in the other corner. <laughs> then you've got these two peripherals. It's um, I'm I'm looking forward to. You know, next uh, next trip I make out there, we won't even have to go to an arcade. We'll just you know, play DDR <laughs> and stuff in your house. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, the end goal, um, we do have a garage with with this apartment that we have. Um, it is my plan to kind of convert that into a mini arcade at some point. Ooh. So um, I think like the most obvious thing to do potentially would be to buy... A gaming PC suitable for like Step Mania and iRacing and then just put both of those out there and get a, a Sega Rally machine or something but I think that's down the road but the good thing is once you do get to come over here this time Adam I, I'm not just living with my parents as well so we won't have to stay in some random Airbnb party the most <laughs> terrifying donut shop logo we've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've had that donut shop logo. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was, you know what the funny thing is about that trip? There was definitely, uh, you know, a sort of uh, a college or, or I guess uni vibe uh, yeah, to it. You absolutely. know, it's just like you you and your mates uh, get renting this house. And I mean, look, we, we were... We, we were adults we did not uh, trash the place or harm it in any way but if we were younger and there were more people there and we were drinking more than we were drinking uh th- there's a there's a definite possibility that would have happened and 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 you just lose the whole night playing video games and stuff it was uh it was a, a very quaint sort of uh you know late teens early 20s uh vibe going on that weekend <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think it's like it was just such a perfect experience in that regard because obviously um, we've got like super serious day jobs um, in terms of 
what we have to do and the, the level of professionalism involved. Um, and it's like, like you say, we basically just took an entire week out to, to play video games, eat wagamamas and <laughs> everything in between. So basically, like when you come over here, the apartment's still going to have that vibe, but perhaps the, um, the wheel stand and the the DDR pad will be ousted in form of some form of uh, modern art or lamps or something because mm. I think it's fine just now during lockdown like nobody's coming into the house so right. it makes sense like some of the, the random items in the, the the room just now it's like just purely from laziness that you're not going to have any visitors <laughs> so um, yeah I think ultimately to get back to the the main thing we're talking about in this long-winded uh, discussion um, the co- the kind of space cost for um, sim racing is something that a lot of people might not think of because it's easy to get lost in the, the financial element of it because it is a big commitment. But I think it's also possible where there will be people who've actually spent money and been in a similar scenario to you, Adam. Like they, they may have saved up for a podium wheelbase, totally like neglected the fact that whilst it provides a fantastic experience, also necessitates that you put the necessary accommodations in place to facilitate it yeah it's it's the the kind of the thing about sim racing in general is and listen i know there are going to be a lot of people that disagree with this the amount of effort required to get to the point of being on the track and racing comfortably is quite apparent and for a lot of people that just isn't an experience that they would be willing to have yeah, and, and look, I, I think for the most part, if you're going to spend $1,500 on a direct drive wheelbase, you probably know it's not going to just be something you can mount to your desk. I think I think you know that. But here's the thing, like, because, you know, I, I, was, I was doing this, entering this situation, looking to review the wheel, not so much, not the base, not everything else associated with it. When I was sent this base, I was, like, trying to figure out if there was any way I could make it work. And I searched on Reddit and like, sure enough, there was a dude who was like, yeah, so I just upgraded to a direct drive wheelbase. And like, is there any way I could make this work with a stand? It's like, yeah, it sounds ridiculous probably to like the seasoned uh, sim sim dads who are listening to this right now, uh, as opposed to us who are just like kind of getting into it. But like, there are people out there who, you know, kind of underrate the commitment it takes. And I think it's just always important to remember that. And I'm, I'm kind of amazed that, like, it's not something that companies uh, like Fanatec, like Thrustmaster, uh, take account of. Like, I, I, I'm surprised that the companies that make all the hardware, I mean, they, they do have partnerships with, like, some companies that make rigs and things like that right that make like cockpits and stuff but like they don't really push it i feel like sort of the 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 package deal is something that would be more attractive to people and and not so much like oh you know here's the here's a three thousand dollar setup where we give you the wheel we give you the direct drive base you have a full room cockpit but like are, are are there companies selling like I don't know, like, here's, like, sort of a modest stand, and it comes with a CSL base, and it's, like, and, and here's everything, everything you need for, like, $800, like, or $1,000. I don't know if it could really fit into that price range, but, like, I think if you're buying as a bundle, maybe there could be a slight discount. Like, I think the first company that can, I think there's a marketing problem more than anything else. And, and, and 
look, you, you could argue that the people who are into this hobby, who want to play these games, they, they get what they want, they know what they want, and they're perfectly happy, and that's fine. But I think that there is an opportunity for someone to come along and be a lot better at marketing this and selling the all-in-one solution to people. And whenever that happens, they're just going to destroy every current player <laughs> in the field. Because yeah. it's just going to make everything so much easier. I mean, it's the... I'm not saying that I want like Apple to start making some racing hardware, but it's like that, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. Is like one day some someone's going to figure out how to how to sell all of this in a in a much more palatable way that kind of takes people's um, uh, sort of ambivalence or concerns out of the picture. And when that happens, it's going to be a big moment. Yeah, absolutely. It will be interesting to see how that occurs, and even. Even with the more apparent, I would say, in the past six months or so, even a year, um, interest of sim racing on a wider scale and more kind of news outlets appearing and players being involved, it's clearly something that's going to be looked at because people are going to, at some point, consume some sort of form of sim racing content and be like, I want to get involved in this, how do I do it? And as soon as they see they have to scour Reddit for, Reddit for three hours and forums to work out the best best wheel stand, best equipment to get. There's probably a lot of money left on the table because people say, you know what, I was actually willing to spend the cash, but I don't want to fuck this up, so I'll probably just hold off. I, uh, it's funny, because like I had this wheel stand, and, and the wheel stand pro, I you know that was not sent to me. I bought that with my own money, because I was like, I'm going to be reviewing a lot of things. I want to make sure that really whatever I have, I, I just have a universal sort of base for it. And yeah. what... The wheel stand pro I ordered had like, and th and this is this is what I'm talking about. Like it, the wheel stand pro is quote unquote universal, and I guess it is. But the problem is that depending on whether you buy the Logitech version of it or the Fanatec version of it or whatever, you will get like different mounting plates. Yeah, you will get yeah. different hardware, and hardware is not that big a deal. I can go to the to the hardware store and buy different screws. That's fine. Uh, the problem is the mounting plates and like yeah, the drill holes. why yep. they don't give you a mounting plate because there should be a mounting plate that works with like 80 to 90 percent of wheelbases and wheels and why they yep. don't and, and and i'm not i should clarify like i'm not used this is not criticism that they don't support the wheelbase the the podium wheelbase and <laughs> that's not what this is about <laughs> um it's more that like for example the the pedals right because i ordered the logitech version the little um brendan you know what it is it's basically like yeah a, it's basically like a it's almost shaped like a ruler like it's just mm -hmm. like a metal sort of strip of of thick metal that goes underneath the bottom of uh the wheel sam pro where the pedals mount and you kind of screw it in past into the pedals so like it, it's sort of allows the pedals to sort of hug themselves against the base of the wheel stand and even though they could have given me a second mounting plate that would have supported Fanatec wheels, or they could have drilled the, the uh, holes for the Fanatec uh, pedals into the mounting plate, they just gave me one that was only going to, it only has two holes or whatever, it's only for Logitech, and you can't use it with anything else. And it's just like, 
this is so stupid. Like how much, how much more would it have cost you to drill a couple extra holes in there or, or just give me a second one. Like we're talking about a piece of metal that is, you know, the size of a ruler. It's really not that big a deal. Um, stuff like that is just very annoying. So my solution is, was actually, you know, I, I found this red thread that was very helpful and I just used a bunch of zip ties I had lying around. So I have, yeah. <laughs> I have the, uh, the bottom of these pedals zip tied to, uh, the bottom of the wheel stand at four different points. And these are the things you have to do to, to make it work. And look, it's fine. It was easy, but, but that's kind of right. There is the crux of what I'm saying. Like there's a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people who just like say like, who the fuck cares? Just make it work. Just, you know, be a man about or whatever and that's fine but like there are many more people that don't want to put up with that bullshit <laughs> yeah exactly and ultimately even for those people who like disagree with a lot of the points we're making saying that's the price of getting a better experience blah 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 if you want some racing to continue to grow and prosper um you also have to accommodate for those people who are just going to get involved because I would argue PC gaming had a similar issue for a long time and it was when that industry kind of acknowledged right, there are people who want to get into PC gaming they feel as if it's still a bit intangible how do we resolve this? And then I would say now in the past 5-10 years we've seen the growth of that easy kind of do-it-yourself PC gaming builds pre-builds not being trash like we're seeing we're seeing that kind of growth and in return there's people like i know who would have never played games on pc saying yeah you know what i'm just gonna get a gaming pc like the, the two next gen consoles look great and stuff but i also kind of want a pc so i'll just go for a gaming pc and it, it's a lot easier to do that whereas before i know personally it seemed like an insurmountable task to understand how to actually get a gaming pc that wouldn't just blow up it's <laughs> like not work correctly and I think that with some race, and even though the problems aren't as apparent, even for somebody like myself, when I when I bought the Fanatic, I totally forgot about that whole plate mounting thing because I oh. had my Wheelstand Pro for ages. Um, and then, just to give a kind of glowing recommendation of Wheelstand Pro here as well, I emailed those guys about it and said, "Listen, I, I don't have a mounting plate. Like, what can you do? Because you can't just buy a mounting plate specifically yeah. off their website." And he replied within like 20 minutes like, oh, we can just ship one out for you for this price. And it was like the most, I think it was like £15 and it was like yeah, they, they will do that. Poland. They will do that. Yeah. And that is very helpful. Um, I think the issue is like, they, they're just not very clear about it. Like, yeah, you, you have to reach out to them to, to do it. And once you do, they will get back to you very quickly. Uh, but they don't sell those plates on their own on their website, something you can just add to cart. And when you're trying to figure out which Wheelstand Pro variant to buy, because again, we're talking about a product, they are all the same. The difference is like, <laughs> yeah. the difference is like the one or two plates and the hardware that they give you. And the way that they kind of list these different variations is like, for Logitech, but underneath that it says also works with, and it lists literally every other piece of sim racing hardware that is out there right now. So it's like, <laughs> it, it makes you think like, oh, well, this will work with everything, which it will, but then you have to follow up with them if you, you know, have this Logitech base and you decide that you want to, you know, you're going to spend more money, you're going to upgrade to a Fanatec or a Thrustmaster setup. So yeah, that that's... 
you know, it's look, it's 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 annoying, but I assume it's something everyone goes through. And uh, at the end of the day, again, like I can't I can't complain too much because like I'm not, you know, I'm doing I'm doing this for work. I'm not really bothered by it. Uh, you know, the, we'll we'll uh, we'll work all this crap out. But uh, it's just kind of a funny a funny moment I had this week. And I'm sending, you know, I, I, I put a picture or two in the Time Extend Discord. I sent some pictures to my friends of like, look what I just got. Like showing them the, <laughs> the podium wheelbase. People are salivating at the mouth and they're just like, use it yet? Yeah. Use it yet? I'm like, I can't. Like, it's just not going to happen. And they're like, how could you like, you know, pass up this opportunity? It's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to build a, a fucking rig to put in my apartment that's too small just to make this yeah. thing work like it's going back <laughs> and you don't want to review it under the pretense that you have this ideal setup either yeah like, yeah and, and that like... yeah yeah you and that's something too like i was very uh when i was sort of explaining to the folks at the company like uh and i guess i, I should like was explaining when when i sort of pitch this like Fantech and Thrustmaster of just like hey we want to do these wheel reviews like can you send me like a sort of modest middle of the road setup and then they send me a podium direct drive wheelbase <laughs> it's like uh I think there was a bit of a miscommunication here um yeah I want something that like the average person's gonna have you know the 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 <laughs> middle the middle upper class I think of uh of sim racing gear is sort of what I was looking to position this as, and and yeah, so they they sent me the nuclear option, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say like it, it, the scary thing is that even the podium can be considered mid tier to some people <laughs> because yeah, there is course, like yeah. those ridiculous like. I'm not even sure the companies are even real. It's like these somebody's and YouTubers that have equipment made by somebody I've never even heard before, and it looks as if they've just ripped out of like a GT3 car or something. Yeah. It's like, oh my god! Like, I even for something like, and I, I mean this with the greatest respect to iRacing possible. I don't think something that iRacing even has the simulation level necessary to justify <laughs> that type of thing. Um, but that, that sim racing, isn't it? I think, like, the issue is that instead of the accessibility maybe being the, the important part, it's the extreme nature of it, because even when it comes to those, like, wheel stands and stuff, it's still relatively small companies handling these more portable versions. But you've got, like, fucking Aston Martin and stuff, like, here is a £7,000 sim racing setup, and it's like, that, that's fantastic. What does that mean for me? Yeah. You would, you would think Logitech... And stuff would be like, oh, we've got an actual wheel stand that's built to work with the G920 or whatever. Here it is, but no, nah, we're not at that point yet. Maybe we will get there, but I think um, I can't imagine the number of people we might have pissed off by <laughs> going off on this rant. But at the end of the day, like the, the good news is that the Sim Dads already hate us, uh, and yeah, and everyone true. else is um, just willing to put up with it now. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about, because uh, we're getting close to the end, but I know you've been playing WRC 9 on the PS5. Yeah. Uh, you started doing that, and we both played the game extensively on the PC, so I wanted to ask you what that's been like. Yeah, so um, 
basically I, I, I just got my own PS5 earlier this week. Um, Danielle does have one, my other half. Um, she got the disc one on launch and then I basically could have earmarked a bit of cash to pick one up for GT7 this year. <laughs> that obviously got the leads. Um, so I already had the cash kind of earmarked there and I was kind of following with Twitter notifications a PS5 stock account. And I got lucky and I was able to pick up a digital edition, so I just did it. Um, and I was downloading all the PS4 games that I'll be playing for the foreseeable future on the PS5. And I was in the sales section. Um, and I seen the WRC9 was down to £17, which is pretty fucking great. Um, especially when the Switch version just came out last week at £55. So I picked up the, the PS5 version. Um, for 17 quid because um, I'd heard the DualSense functionality was good. Um, that was reason enough punt to, to kind of give 17 pounds to KT. They, they do a good job with those games, so I'm more than happy to double dip. Um, and I was playing yesterday for about four hours, um, trying out functionality, and whilst it's not like the the insane revelation i think some media outlets are reporting it as like i think it's that kind of new gen kool-aid being drunk like oh my god this will change the way racing games are played forever like <laughs> it's not really like that but what it offers is a a very interesting look at what games like gran turismo 7 might do in the future because basically the way that wrc9 has the dual sense functionality is that you obviously have your accelerator on r2 um, your brake on L2 and as opposed to replicating the feel of the pedals it actually tries to replicate the the feedback that the tyres give hmm. so when you're on like an icy surface at Monte Carlo you'll feel like the ABS kick in when you hold in the brakes so like it'll start juddering a little bit and you can feel that the tyres aren't quite comfortable on the surface and you, you feel the car kind of grind to a halt but sliding and then um, when you're trying to accelerate on that more slippier surface, the, the R2 button will have very little resistance on ice, so it'll just go straight down no problem. But then when the grip kicks in, once you get into like second gear or whatever, you feel that resistance slowly building up. Right. And it's, it's a really cool experience, and I think the thing is, I've seen a lot of people um, consider like, oh, it'll never replicate how a wheel feels. But I don't think that's what it's trying to do. I think it's trying to be more immersive by translating the car's um, interpretation of the driving surfaces onto a, a control pad, whereas the wheel is more about how the car actually feels as if you were driving it. It doesn't feel like the same feedback you get from a steering wheel in a real car or on-force feedback. It definitely feels like a more um, creative example of certain elements of the car and the feedback through that. So when you're on gravel as well, um, the the R2 and L2 buttons both have a lot more resistance as standard, but when you slide the car, the R2 and L2 release all that resistance and then you can kind of drift the car no problem. It's only when you're on a straight line, when you've got maximum grip, that there is a bit more resistance. It's pretty interesting. I would say that much. I don't think it's um I don't think it's a natural experience. Like when you feel the feedback at first, it's kind of hard to understand why you're feeling it. But once you understand, like, okay, it's actually just trying to translate the grip of these surfaces to the triggers, 
and forget the way that you expect force feedback to feel based on using sim racing rigs and stuff. It's a pretty interesting experience that ultimately will make you a slower driver, there's no doubt about that, <laughs> because the, the more kind of barriers to pressing those buttons, because that's that's been the biggest issue for like first-person shooters, for yeah. example. Like Call of Duty did the whole trigger resistance thing for the guns, and like immediately everyone was like, this just makes versus other platforms unplayable, because you're just at such a disadvantage. But it adds that level of immersiveness where, like, full cards on the table, like WRC9 is at its best in its single player career mode, so yeah. I don't really care about being quick, in the sense that as long as the, the computer aren't being unfair, then it's a, that, a better experience. That is a great irony, I think, of these systems that, that try to replicate more of, of the real world experience of using the thing, whether it's shooting a gun or driving a car. Uh, they... Everyone champions realism and wanting the most realistic thing, but then the second the developer tries to do it in a way that impedes your yep. ability, not ability to play the game, but impedes your ability to um, exploit the game, you know, it, 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 it represents uh, shooting a gun in a way that is slower than it would be in the video game, then everyone complains, or like, pros can't use this, and it's just, it, it really... <laughs> puts into perspective how like the double talk out there <laughs> yeah absolutely in the gaming it's, uh, space about this stuff it's a double-edged sword because people want the realism to be as fast and as performant as possible but the like you're saying the minute you acknowledge that in real life trying to drive a car or shoot a gun it's not a simple point and click then there's the immediate backlash because like dual sense is the like personified antithesis to mouse and keyboard like mouse and keyboard does the direct inputs with little if no feedback whatsoever. But DualSense is more about let's try and make this as immersive as possible, even if that means costing a bit of your performance. And like in WRC9, if you've like damaged your engine, the kind of feedback that you get from the controller based on that is that you can't kind of fully force down the trigger button. Oh wow. So that's interesting. It's yeah, that's, it's interesting really because cool. yeah, yeah, it is because what you're then seeing is that when you fully damage your car on dirt rally, for example, um, your car goes slower, but you can still press that trigger down, like completely far down. The only difference is the game is deciding that you can't go at a certain speed. In WRC nine, your speed is tied to the the tension on the, the trigger, so if you can only press it down. A third of the weight, the car will go a third as fast as it's possible. So it's interesting, like it's really cool because I didn't think of all companies that be KT Racing that'd be like, here is what a racing game feels like on Joe Sets. Because like you know Polyphony's gonna spend fucking ages trying to get this right. Yeah. Like they're gonna they're gonna spend so much time on As has already talked about, I think I think he was saying like <laughs> break pressure being like yeah. the number one thing that they'd be able to replicate well using a dual sense. I think that's that is where these um these experiences might differ because those quotes like you've said there, I think Kaz is going to be more concerned with that feeling of the pedals primarily, um, and making that feel as natural as possible. Whereas um WRC's implementation is like, how can we kind of distill the kind of core parts of rallying specifically down to the, the the throttle and the brake. It's not 
explicitly concerned with how these cars handle. It's more concerned with how should we transfer dam, how should we translate damage into haptic feedback? How do we translate surfaces into haptic feedback? So I think that's why it's not a natural experience in my opinion, in the sense that I could equate the feeling I'm getting through the triggers to what you would feel on a wheel. It's so far removed from that. But I also love the fact that it is because it means that the door is now opened to different interpretations of how the dual sense may be used in the future. Listen, I know the way these things go. Within two years, it'll probably be a footmark <laughs> on the entire PS5 experience. But um, it this feels like a kind of miniature Wii Sports moment for the dual sense. Like, oh, okay, this is this is how racing games could implement this. It will be interesting seeing how far it goes, but. I think as well, all credit to KT for getting something out there so quickly on the PS5 because I've seen multiple people, or many people I should say, who wouldn't normally touch a game like that, literally just picking it up because they've heard what people are saying about the DualSense implementation. So, has it's me, not... Has me curious <sighs> about what yeah. uh, the Dirt Rally team will try to do when, when they you know inevitably come out with their next, uh, their next project on PS5. Yeah, absolutely. I think like it's there's no immediate fine art to it because as Kaz has said, he's got a much that like his his definition of what he wants to achieve is not what translates to WRC nine, and I imagine other racing games will differ quite greatly as well. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I really feel like you have the chance here to basically change the way in which your racing game is played if you implement the haptic feedback correctly but there's even just other things as well if you want to talk about the ps5 hardware and the criticism of that then if you want people to play with DualSense um on and at full functioning like capacity you're reducing the battery life to like three four hours so oh, wow. there are going to be people like I can't be bothered charging this all the time, <laughs> so they just turn dual sense off. Um, because, like for example, when I was playing games on the PS4, the dual sense it was like three bars, so absolutely fine. When I played WRC nine for an hour, the bars had dropped from like three to two. So it's like you're asking a lot of the player to kind of commit to being slower and also have that additional headache of having to keep the controller charged a lot. Yeah. And, like, that is such a minor issue, I get it, but ultimately, this whole podcast in some ways has been about um, how to approach racing games and do racing games and the hardware associated with them kind of welcome you in, whether it's Circuit Superstars, more kind of approachable sim racing elements, or Fnatic wanting to own your existence. <laughs> what, what we're talking about here is, will people longer term want to accept that they'll be a bit slower? get slightly less headshots to use the dual sense capabilities. We'll find that out over time. What I will say is, and I'll hold my hands up, I, I did think it would be as kind of irrelevant as the HD rumble was in the Switch, but the, the initial implementations of the, the haptic triggers that I've used so far uh, through Astrobot and now WRC9, there, there is some cool technology there, but ultimately, over time, it could it could just as easily become a footnote on, oh, remember when Sony tried that, and then you get the PS5 Lite or whatever that does not have that functionality in the controllers? I, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think WRC9, though, 
a really cool implementation of translating that feeling of rally to the triggers that goes beyond the simple feel of the cars themselves. I think dual sense will have a, a longer a longer life than, you know, your PlayStation moves or your connects or uh, various like everyone derides a touchpad. I I don't know why people complain about the touchpad so much. I mean, it, it goes under use <laughs> in games, yep. but I think the potential is there. I I feel like in this industry there is a there's a big disconnect. It, people aren't nuanced enough in talking about like is the hardware bad or are people underutilizing the hardware and that's why you think it's bad. Like you know, Connect for example was bad hardware. It was inaccurate. It just force you to make all these sacrifices in your life to freaking use it it was always listening like nobody wanted to put up with that but like you know the touchpad on like the playstation controller like there there are situations where i think that could be super useful and and one of the cool things about it is like you can map like uh in gt sport for example left touch uh, left side of the touchpad versus pressing the middle versus pressing the right which can be very useful for like all of the crazy uh controls and stuff in gt sport for aspects of the car that uh you don't maybe even necessarily realize is there like you can control your your signals and your windshield wipers and uh you know there's a whole multi-function display element too so yeah i, I mean i think it's it's good that's there i think it based on the response so far it's one of uh, I, I think the coolest aspects of the PS5 that pretty much everyone can agree on is a good thing. And I feel like developers will keep uh, taking, you know, taking it into consideration as they make games. It's funny because, like, I have this white, uh, that kind of skeleton white semi-transparent Xbox One controller that I I think is one of, like, the most beautiful controllers that I has ever been made. Like, I think, I think this thing looks awesome. I've had for like two years yeah. now and the uh <laughs> something seems to have broken inside of it i mean it all still works as intended but something some piece of plastic or something broke off inside the controller and is now moving itself around to various parts of of the innards of this xbox one controller and uh sometimes it lodges itself underneath the triggers and i can't press the triggers down all the way uh, and then I'll have to shake the controller oh. and then it will like it'll gravitate to some other part of the controller uh, so we'll see how long I can use it before it really becomes a problem but it's funny that you mentioned the Xbox Elite controller because uh, yeah that's that's one I've been thinking about but yeah. I don't know if I could bring it's myself like, to spend all that money <laughs> I know especially when like the, the series 2 did have a lot of issues as well mm -hmm. Um, at that price point you don't want to be reading about very highly recurring issues and an extended warranty because the issues are that bad so maybe good just holding off at this point I'm sure there'll be a series 3 at some point that fixes the issues yeah well when you when you pay big money for hardware like that you uh, you also sign yourself up for big issues sometimes so yeah absolutely <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because I really didn't know how the show was going to go as we started, but it just ended up becoming this like larger philosophical discussion on like <laughs> inputs and, and hardware related to sim racing and stuff like that. And I think it, it actually resulted in, in a pretty unique installment of Time Extend that I'm happy, I'm happy just kind of happened this way. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's definitely not a topic we could ever kind of construe beforehand. So it's um, yeah, this has been a very interesting episode, but one that I'm glad we've got in our, our arsenal now of episodes for people to listen to. <laughs> absolutely. Um, as far as things coming up on the horizon. Uh, I don't really know if there's anything that we can necessarily speak to right now. There's a possibility might have a really cool guest on in the future, um, though I don't know when that'll happen. Uh, we'll say Jason. Jason has been talking to me a lot in the background about wanting to wanting to dive into Jet Moto and Wave Race, uh, which I think might be a cool topic for maybe the next episode. We might have to explore those. Because especially he he is like the Jet Moto guy, like he is he is like a Jet Moto <laughs> yeah. pro. And uh, have have you have you dabbled in the Jet Motos? So I haven't actually, and that's one of the reasons I think we talked about it on Discord once. Um, it's one of the reasons why it'd be a good episode to do because like I've got such zero experience for those titles that it'd be like a totally fresh experience. Yeah, just just emulate it or something like that because you know it's a PlayStation yeah. game. It, it runs it runs perfectly fine emulation and. Yeah, you can you can check it out. They're uh, they're just insane. I mean, especially once you get to like Jet Moto two and three. I mean, I don't. I, I think I'll probably just play Jet Moto two and just leave it at that because that series it, it it's it's almost fast for its own. It's too fast for its own good. But then the people who love <laughs> yeah. it love that about it. So you know, think things to discuss for the future for sure. But. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone, you know, thanks for listening. Uh, would like to put a reminder in here that while we don't do the public uh, invitations to our Discord anymore because we had some issues with people abusing them and, uh, you know, uh, generally being trolls and, and terrible in the Discord and then having to kick them and then they'd find their way back. <laughs> Uh, we, we do it kind of on an invite basis, but here's the thing. If you message us or you message the account and you say, I want an invite, we will give it to you. Uh, we will, we will give you like a single use invite or something like that. So we definitely want to keep getting new people into discord. We're just not going to publish unlimited use, uh, invites anymore. Uh, so hit us up if, if you want to be a part of discord where we have really cool conversations about literally everything from the, the iRacing Assail courses stuff that we talked about this episode to obviously every arcade racer under the sun and all of the yeah. all of the very cool mods that are happening uh, as far as like getting Ridge Racer cars in the Assail Corsa. Um, there are a couple people in our Discord who are super active with that, uh, like Chris, um, that... Yeah, if if you if you're gonna be browsing the Discord, you, you might just like come across a GIF of like an Asoluto Basante uh, drifting in in the Seto Corso, which is like always the coolest thing to see. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening, guys.